Hello everybody, this is Suzanne from Citrus Labs and you are listening to From Lab to Label, a podcast that is all about the scientification of consumer brands. This day and age sees more health and wellness brands than ever before. But how can we tell if these new products are actually working? On this show, I sit down with brand owners and people from the health and wellness industry to discuss new trends, research, ideas and opportunities in supplements, cosmetics and superfoods. Suzanne, can you talk a little bit about the process and steps in general, start to finish, that are part of a clinical trial or a consumer perception study? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, typically, our our studies include three different steps. Uh, the first step, typically a study startup. Study setup includes everything to essentially begin with your study. It includes the design of the study, setting inclusion, exclusion criteria, setting a study procedure. You know, all of this stuff goes into study design. Also um, setting if it's a single group study, a randomized control study, maybe even a crossover study. Then we also create all study material like consent forms, questionnaires. We'll set you up for your skin markers or your blood markers or um, integrate with Apple Watch, root bands, Aura rings to actually collect robust data. And then for clinical studies, as the next step is getting everything to the IRB, the Institutional Review Board, which is an ethics committee that is checking if the study is robust and if it's ethical, then when everything looks great and gets approved. A second part basically is trial execution. Here we work, you know, participant recruitment, retention, compliance. This is when Jody typically uh, takes over with her team. Here, you know, we make sure to uh, recruit participants in, in a specific uh, time frame. We are making sure that they don't drop out, that they are following the protocol and take your product. And then third is all about data collection. Here we have a central platform in which we consolidate all steady data that was collected in the study. Um, you know, as I mentioned, we can collect data through questionnaires. They can be validated by academic institutions. Um, these questionnaires are typically used by medical professionals, physicians all over the world to uh, diagnose certain conditions or to measure progress on certain conditions. We can also create study-specific questionnaires um, and then, you know, biomarkers, digital markers, skin markers, whatever you need. And then at the end, you will get a clinical study report. And that report also includes claims and it also includes statistical analysis for clinical studies and qualitative analysis for perception studies. Suzanne, earlier you talked about having skin grading. Uh, can folks still create legitimate claims if they don't have a dermatologist review before and after photos? Yeah, so that would basically be, you know, qualitative improvements. Now, quantitative improvements are great. You know, your skin hydration went up by 50%. That's awesome. But if the consumer, you know, your end user doesn't feel, doesn't see this improvement, 
then they are very likely not to rebuy. So, you know, obviously quantitative improvements from skin creating, for example, are important, but qualitative are just as important as quantitative. And you can still make claims from a consumer perception study. It's just that there was no instrumentation involved, but you can still make claims because you still have data to support that. And frankly, most skincare companies opt for perception studies. And can we do imaging such as Vizia or Antara? Uh, yes, we can do imaging as well. Awesome. Um, another question, as an indie brand, 10K is still a big investment. Would you consider grouping a study? So for example, grouping a serum study with different brand hair products so that there's a savings in the recruitment costs. It's funny that you ask that because this is what we do also on a regular basis. So typically, especially when we have smaller brands and we're testing products that don't interfere with each other, then we can absolutely do that. So for example, we had one or currently running um, studies with actually two companies that are grouping to actually save costs. So for example, we have, uh, I think we have cleanser, um, an under eye serum and a lip balm. That is one group. Um, and then we have another group with a moisturizer for the face, hands, body. That's another, that's another group. Um, now it's, it's very important that your products don't interfere because otherwise results might be, you know, you kind of have to bundle it then and say, well, when, for example, when you're using a serum and a moisturizer, then you have to make claims based on the bundle because you, you can't really tell, you know, was it the serum, was it the moisturizer, or was it a synergistic effect? But we have done studies, for example, for supplements in the past where uh, participants were first using one supplement and then they wanted to find out if, if they would use the other supplement on top of it, if there's a synergistic effect. So this is something that is also an option. Is there a difference in price between consumer perception studies versus core clinical studies? Yeah, there's a big difference. <laughs> I think especially for, for smaller brands. So, um, you know, this is basically what some of, of our, uh, what like the average price is on average, depending on very different inclusion, exclusion criteria, add-ons that you can, um, you know, basically purchase additionally, including participant compensation, including shipping, our um, perception studies run between eight to 10K and our clinical studies, actually clinical studies, they start at 25K. Suzanne, how do you make sure that participants actually do what they're supposed to do during the study? That's also a great question. So most of the time, you know, it is trust because you can never tell if somebody is not is not taking it. But this is also how, you know, they would probably do this in the wild. Obviously, sometimes you forget, sometimes you it might not be convenient to you know, apply a product, take a product. We do have like a hard stop at between 75 to 90% um, compliance that has to that has to happen. Otherwise, we would deem them a dropout. Um, but Jody and her team actually make a really good job on, you know, communicating with participants that they should take the product. 
Jody also makes a great job with recruiting. So for example, our recruitment process is not, you know, we want to fill that as fast as possible. Obviously we want to do that, but we also want to make sure that we give you high quality study participants, you know, recruitment path, then uh, compliance that we do. And then, you know, if we want to be super clear about it, um, you can, we can actually include questionnaires, daily questionnaires, weekly questionnaires, asking them how much product did you take, or even, you know, pill counting. For sunscreen products, what claims, if any, can you make? And could we run a study on eliminating basal cells? Has anyone ever done that with a topical? So sunscreen is, depends if you want to check for SPF, depends if you want to do sunscreen that is also nourishing the skin. For example, Say Beauty is doing that with us. They are, you know, more interested in, you know, is that sunscreen nourishing? Is that helping, you know, with like standard skin concerns typically versus does that actually help to protect from the sun? So it always depends what you're looking for, but uh, most of the studies we can run, yeah. Can you talk about some of the risks or issues when running these studies and what is the best way to avoid these risks? So I think Jody, I think this is a question for you, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd love to answer this. One of the, the overarching goal here is to make sure that as many study participants have the best chance to complete a study successfully. So some of the risks are when we see a study that has really complicated or complex instructions, um, or there's just simply too much to do. And we don't want to make the uh, study cumbersome for folks. We want to have clear expectations and we want to have a, some reasonable um, instructions for folks. Um, another risk is when packaging isn't branded. Folks really like to receive something through the mail that's branded and beautiful. And we also want to set clear expectations about when folks can see a benefit to the product. So for example, with wrinkles, we're not going to see anything the next day as we would necessarily with a moisturizer. Another great question. Typically, how long are studies? Again, that depends heavily. Um, so we have studies that are literally just a day because they are checking for like something, an immediate effect. Then we have studies for two weeks, four weeks. Um, I think, Jody, the longest we've done is like is it eight months, nine yeah. months. Yeah. yeah. So it, it depends. It depends on a couple of factors. Mostly it depends on when does your product typically you know, achieve peak efficacy and what are, what are the concerns that your study participants are having? And how long does it take for your product to then reach efficacy so that you know, your participants, your core group see a relief? What about a study for UTI elimination? We have a product which wipes it out and keeps mm -hmm. them from coming back. Could we run a study on UTI elimination? Uh, yeah, I think we, one, of our, one of our first studies was on, on UTI. So yeah, we've done that in the past. And um, yeah, it's, it's less about UTI elimination because then you would be in the realm of this is a drug versus this is a supplement. Then you would need to go through FDA, um, you know, FDA approval basically. But what you can do instead of saying elimination, for example, is that you're reducing the occurrence. For example, you have study participants 
that have regular UTIs. And then, you know, typically in that time frame, you will see like two to three UTIs, but instead of two to three UTIs, they actually had none. And then you can use some data and some nice graphs around that. So I think there was a question around pricing. Mm-hmm. Um, so typically pricing is, you know, it depends on the study you want to run. It depends on if you want um, skin markers involved, like expert skin creating. It depends on if you're a supplement brand, if you want biomarkers, it depends if it's a single group study, randomized control study, or even uh, just a perception study. Perception studies are still great. So on average, our perception studies will run between eight to 10K. Uh, Our clinical studies start at 25 and our randomized control studies start at 45. And it doesn't mean that you are paying this. It just means that this is basically starting cost and our cost includes everything from start to finish. It even includes uh, shipping. It includes participant, your compensation. They're typically no surprise cost, except when the study scope changes and Jody can absolutely tell you that study scope unfortunately changes sometimes i think that's a wrap thank you so much for listening to from lab to label the scientification of consumer brands if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast please share it with others and leave us a five-star review to learn more about citrus labs please visit citruslabs.com and you can check out more of our content and join our email list also feel free to send us your questions at hello at citruslabs.com thanks again and see you next time